as we jump into the message today, I'm going to warn you, um, you may feel like I'm in your face, and that's because I am. Um, hopefully it won't come off that way too, too harshly, but, but uh, uh, we've come to a place in the book of Acts that these people are struck with a truth that I think is shocking. And honestly, I mean, we can probably all identify. There's probably times where you've woken up or, or that you have done something and realized, man, that was a mistake. What was I thinking? Why did I do that? Unfortunately, I have many of those uh, stories in my life. I won't share them all now, but uh, we'll suffice it to say that there have been many times that I have known people from my past and that they're shocked to find out where I'm at today. It's a testimony to God's grace and His goodness of what He's done in my life. Uh, there's many people that I have known that have um, said to me, wow, we miss the old Seth. We wish we had the old Seth back. And I say to them, the old Seth is gone. Quit waiting. Don't expect him back. He's done. The new Seth is here. Take it or leave it. Um, and so it's a... It's a a reality that I understand, man, there's plenty of things in life. What in the world was I thinking? What did I do? Why did I do that? And plenty of things to regret, plenty of things to, to wonder about. Well, today, that's the exact place that our, the people of Acts, the people of Jerusalem, as they hear Peter preaching, that's the exact place they're brought to. Um, today, in fact, Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. As you're turning, I'll kind of set up the scene for you. Acts chapter 2, you guys know as, as we've studied through this, is the point where, where Jesus' words to his disciples that they're going to be baptized in the Spirit and they're going to receive power to do his work and his mission, and we see it begin to be fulfilled. These people wake up one morning and they're just ordinary, average people. They, you know, there's nothing special about them except that they've witnessed the risen Lord. They, they recognize him to be the Christ and the Savior. Um, but beyond that, they're just like us. You know, they're, they're average, ordinary people. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're, they're waiting for it, they're hoping for it, they're longing for it. Out of nowhere, suddenly, the Holy Spirit comes on them. There's this rushing wind, or, or, or the sound of a rushing wind, and this massive flame, or, or flames that look like tongues, rest on these people, and suddenly they are immersed in the Spirit. And then it says that they're filled with His power, and as they're filled with His power, the, the Spirit influences them to do supernatural things, and they begin to prophesy and speak of the great works of God. And I can only imagine at this point that the things that they're speaking of is not only things like creation and, and, and the work that He did with Israel, but I think that they're probably speaking a lot about Jesus Christ a, a, a Savior that was killed but that rose from the grave. I, I think that they're prophesying about how, how much God has done through this man Jesus. And, and thousands of people gather. They hear this noise and they gather and they, they're looking on, shocked. And they're, all this shock and awe, you know? I mean, they're, they're like, wow, what's going on? What could be happening? And Peter stands up in the middle of it all. And I don't think he's speaking in tongues at this point or speaking a language that he doesn't know. But I think that he begins to preach in Aramaic. And they all understand this. This would be a common tongue for all of them, although these people were from all over. And as the prophesying was happening, it was happening in many different languages, languages that each person was understanding to be their own. But Peter begins to preach. 
And as he begins to preach, the point of his message begins as, this is what's happening. This is what you're seeing. This is what you're experiencing. But very quickly, the point of his message turns, and as he sums it up, as he closes this first gospel presentation out, he clearly points out why it's happening and why he's speaking. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 36. <clears throat> he says in verse 36 of chapter 2, it says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know that's the whole place. That's all the people. Therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, Jesus, or, or, or Peter stands up and he says, this is what you're experiencing. This is what was promised. This is a fulfillment of all that the Old Testament says. But he turns it and he says, but this is why it's being fulfilled. Because Jesus is Lord and Christ. Listen up, house of Israel. Listen up. Don't miss this point. He wants them to get it. He wants them to understand it. All the house of Israel know this for certain. Without a shadow of a doubt, this Jesus has been made to be Lord in Christ. And here's, tough to, here, here's where it gets tough. You killed him. You killed him. I'm just going to tell you, that's probably the most controversial words they had ever heard. I think it was probably big for them to hear that Jesus was Lord in Christ. I think that was big. But now he's Lord in Christ, and you know what? You killed him. He's... He's the one that's supreme. He's the one with authority. That's what Lord means. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting on. That's what Christ means. And you killed Him. What? What? You see, what we see happening here, what we see in the midst of this very verse, is something that we run scared from every day you see Peter just presents this gospel truth boom there it is but you know what it did immediately it brought gospel conflict see gospel truth is God's truth it's revealed from God it's his perspective it's what he says and when you're standing in a dark world Sometimes that light hurts to look at. Sometimes that truth reveals things about yourself that you don't want to know. You see, the sad truth is, is that as we live in this world, as, as these people lived in this world, they thought they had it figured out. They thought they knew what they were talking about. They thought they knew what they were doing. They had the law. They had the prophets. They, they had all of this to stand on. They had all of this reason to, to proclaim Jesus Christ to be a blasphemer and, and send Him to the cross. And here Peter is saying, this guy you've been waiting on, 
This promise from God that you have been longing for, that you've been telling your children about for generations. This man has been made to be him. This man has been revealed to be him, and you killed him. See, the truth is, is that when we see gospel truth, it reveals to us the ugliness of who we are, the fallenness, the depravity. See, it's nice when we can come along and and hear these messages and and, and read the words of the Bible and, and think, oh man, they just make me feel so warm and fuzzy. Man, I love that. I love warm and fuzzy. Don't get me wrong, I love warm and fuzzy. Sometimes I feel warm and fuzzy. But sometimes the truth brings great conflict. Sometimes the truth doesn't show us the work that God's done in us. Sometimes the truth reveals to us the, God, the, the work that God still has to do in us. Yes, yeah, sometimes, man, I can see what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I can look back. I can hear the testimonies of people that, that knew me. I can hear them be amazed. I can hear for them to long for the, the party set. And sometimes that truth reminds me that God has done great things. Sometimes that truth, it cuts. And it reminds me that there is still a lot of work to do. See, I'm still a fallen man. I still have a flesh to fight, a, 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 a flesh to war against. Gospel truth brings gospel conflict. And I think these people, as they heard it, were probably shocked. What would you think if you were standing there? Well, what would you have thought? You know, the reality is, is that, that many of these people, many of these people standing and listen to this message, the thousands of people standing there, Many of them, were, they likely were not there when they stood in that, in that courtyard and screamed out, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. It's probably true that many of them were somewhere else. Many of them were not the Jewish leaders that, that devised this plan to see Him crucified. Some of them had only heard about it. None of them were the ones that swung the hammer. None of them were the ones that beat him bloody. None of them were the ones that hung that cross up and left him there to die. Peter's standing there. You killed him. Gospel conflict. There's a chart I want to show you to to demonstrate this and help you see what this gospel conflict does. Now, I stole this from... Uh, actually, I stole it from a guy named Bob Thune, and Bob Thune stole it from a place called World Harvest Mission. So um, it's twice stolen, so I think by now I can almost claim it for myself. But <laughs> I really like this because <clears throat> I think this chart really helps us understand what happens with gospel truth. You see, in the gospel... We come to this place, and I think that this, these people are at this place where they are recognizing that they are fallen, that they are broken, that they've made a mistake. 
And that this Jesus that they, they made the mistake with, He's the one. He's the holy God. He's the one that they needed for help and hope. And that's that point of conversion where that, where that chart begins to, begins to split. That's that point of conversion where all that begins to happen. But the reality is this, that as we grow in Christ, as we continue along this path, that gospel truth and gospel conflict, it doesn't stop. You're not all of a sudden perfect. You don't all of a sudden have all the answers. You're not going to quit making mistakes. You see, the gospel truth is, is that God is holy. And we are not. You see, Jesus didn't need us. Jesus is never in need of us. But we are always in need of Him. You see, the conversion brings us to this place where we begin in an increasing measure to understand how holy and how perfect and how righteous and how gracious and how merciful and how loving this great God, our Creator, is. But this gospel truth also begins to continue to reveal in us. It begins to continue to reveal in us. This is an ongoing thing. Our own sinfulness. You and I will never, ever, ever measure up. And that's why we need the cross. You see, the cross is not just a one-in-a-lifetime event. It's not, it's not just something that happened once and, oh, I got the cross, I'm good to go, I can go about my life. In increasing measure, we recognize our dependence on Jesus Christ, on His work. Gospel truth brings gospel conflict, and that conflict should drive us to Jesus Christ and His cross. He never needed us. He will never need us. But we will always need Him. And these people, these people standing there listening to this message as Peter makes his case for Christ, look at the power. Look at what He did. Look at the prophets. You, he, you saw His power. You can read your Scriptures and, and the prophets reveal Him to be the Messiah. Look at what's happening in front of your eyes. This is a revelation that Jesus Christ is alive and He is Lord and Christ. And some of them got it. What in the world were we thinking? What did we do? And here they respond in verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We killed him. What were we thinking? I want you to understand, they had this inwardly driven pain. They, 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 they faced this conflict within themselves. 
They were deeply wounded. They were hurt. They were saddened. They mourned. They were cut to the heart. Man, when is the last time we stopped and considered this price? When was the last time that we were cut to the heart because of who we were? He had to die. When was the last time we stopped to think about this sacrifice and the payment that He made? They were cut to the heart. And it was, it was, it was boiling up inside of them. I can only imagine that, they were, that, that their minds were racing and that they were wondering inside themselves and, and they're driven to ask, what are we going to do? What do we do now? Our hope, the one that we were longing for, the one that could have saved us, the one that could have done this work for us, the one that could have set us back up where we belonged and where we needed to be. We killed Him. How in the world are we ever going to get Him to love us again? How can I measure up? What, what, what can I do? You see, that's what we do all the time. We're always looking for that thing to do to please Him and to be accepted and to be loved by Him. Get this. Understand this. Gospel truth is this. You can't do anything. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In your sin, in your depravity, in your fallenness, in your weakness, in your trials, in your tribulations, in your flawed perspectives, in your, in your weakness and, and, and lack of concern for anyone, in your selfishness, you know, in, in the depths and darkness of who you really are, Jesus loved you. Just like that. He loved you. He accepted you. He never said to you, hey, when you figure it out and get cleaned up, come on, let's talk. If the world figures out that I'm God creator, and they can understand that I really love them, and if they get their theology just right, And they figure out that I'm the only hope they have. And if, if, if they'll go to church every Sunday, and that they'll give 10% of their checks on, on, a, on a weekly basis, if, 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 they'll, if they'll do all of these things, then you know what? Then I think I'll love them. He never said that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That love and that acceptance was proven on the cross. You don't have anything to do to earn His love. You can't do anything to earn His love. You see, this is, so, this is, this is why it is so important that we understand gospel truth. So that as we look to respond, we don't look to, to rest in our own works or the, own, the things that we can do. 
as Peter gives them this answer, he doesn't give them a list of laws to follow. Listen to what he says. Listen to the right response to gospel truth as we deal with gospel conflict. Peter said to them, this is verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls unto Himself. And with many other words He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those, he received, so those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What do we do? Repent. You know, we don't hear all that Peter has to say. We're, we're hearing a summary. His sermon, his message, his teaching, it lasted much more than the ten minutes it would have taken him to go through this, this few verses. Luke gives us a summary and he says to them, repent. What does it mean to repent? Well, what does that mean? What would he have been saying to them? You know, in our culture, this is the problem and one of the reasons why it's so important that we strive to study and have good, a good understanding and a right doctrine. Because in many cases today, we teach repentance as this list of things to quit doing. Okay, I've got to repent, so that means I'm going to have to quit hanging out with my sinful friends. I'm going to have to quit, I don't know, lying. I'm going to have to quit stealing. I'm going to have to quit. 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 And I don't want you to hear me saying that our repentance won't lead to those actions. But that's not what that word means. That's not what the Jews would have heard. That's not what Peter would have said. Peter said, repent. Actually, he said, mata aneo, which is Greek for repent. But when he said that, that Greek word, it really means have a change of mind. Change your mind. Take a different perspective. Look at things differently. Now, why might he have said this to Jewish people? Well, let's understand the Jewish people. They had a law. And they sought righteousness through that law. And if they sacrificed the right number of animals on the right days, that they were righteous. If they, if they didn't do certain things, if they showed up at the right festivals, if they, if they told the priest the right things, if they followed these certain steps, they considered themselves righteous. But Jesus showed them clearly all through the Gospels, go and read them. All through the Gospels, Jesus showed them clearly it didn't work. They were failures. They were fallen. They couldn't keep the law. But Jesus fulfilled the law. He's telling them, change your mind about all you believed. Change your mind about who you think Jesus Christ is. You thought Jesus Christ was a blasphemer. You killed Him because of that. You thought Jesus Christ was some lunatic run off just calling people to follow Him to, to this crazy thing. Change your mind about who you think Jesus is. Change your mind about how you think you gain righteousness. Change your mind about who you think God is and how He reveals Himself. That's what He's calling them to. You know the cool thing that happens when you have a change of mind like that? You know what happens when you begin to have a total uh, uh, paradigm shift in your mind? Your motivations change and your actions change. When suddenly you're not following a law, you're trusting in Jesus Christ, 
wait a minute. He was, I was supposed to work for my salvation, but I can't. And I'm supposed to trust in Him. So I've got to change my mind about that. And as soon as you have that change of mind, as soon as you have that paradigm shift, no longer do you have to quit drinking, quit smoking, quit, quit cussing, quit chewing, quit all these things that our culture says you've got to quit doing to be saved. You trust in Jesus to be saved. You know what happens out of that? All of those other things follow. You see, it's a whole motivational change. I no longer work to gain acceptance. I have acceptance. And I work because I have acceptance. I want to please Him. I want to honor Him. I want Him to know my love for Him and my gratitude and my recognition that He is Lord in Christ. I have a desire to work this way now. I have a desire to live this way. I have a desire to be seen as different and distinct from the culture around me. I have a desire to worship Him and praise Him. I have a desire to, to have people look at me and say, man, I wish we had the old Seth back. But it's not because I want to please Him or get His acceptance, I mean. It's because I want my life to honor Him and bring glory to Him. It's, it's a subtle but totally different mindset. Working to gain acceptance or working because you have acceptance. Change your mind. Repent. Maybe there's some of you sitting in here today that are like, man, I repented once. I'm good to go. I had that change of mind. I know what this is all about. Luther says that that repentance is all of a Christian's life. When he, when he stood up, on, and we all love Luther, you know, because he started the Protestant Reformation. Otherwise, we'd all be Catholic. You know, I mean, we'd all be going to a Catholic church today. But he stood up and he went to, to the door and he nailed his 95 Thesis on the door. The very, one, of the, one of the first lines, let me read it just so I don't make a mistake and say it wrong. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Bring that chart back up. From the moment you recognize the truth, you live no longer seeking to work for His acceptance, resting in His acceptance, trusting in the cross, recognizing His holiness, recognizing your need for Him, recognizing that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, came to, to die on the cross in our place for our sins, and that means because of our sins. That's repentance. A constant recognition that we are going to try and be on the top line and push Him to the bottom line. A constant recognition that, that we try to measure up in some way, that we try to shrink the need for the cross, that we try to tell Jesus by some imaginary and unbelievable idea that we get that we can be good enough for Him. Repent! You can't! Neither can I. Quit trying. Rest in grace. Some of us love so many other things more than we love God. We just went through a study called The Reason for God. Tim Keller wrote the book. 
And in that study, he points out that Augustine says that sin is disordered love. We love things in the wrong priority. See, it's not bad to love your family. It's a good thing to love your family. It's not bad to love your friends and to love your spouse and to, and to love your job and your work. It's not bad to love those things. But when you love them out of priority, when you put your family here and God somewhere down here, that's a problem. It's a big problem. It's disordered love. When, when you take a noble and good thing your service in the church, the gifts that He's given you through His Spirit, and you exalt them to a place that they're more important than He is, that's disordered love. You're counting on that more than you're counting on Him. When you take all the good works that you can do, and you love them more than you love the God that created you and saved you and, and, and has changed you and made you new, it's disordered love, and that's sin. Repent, change your mind. If you're wondering, maybe you're just considering, well, what might I love more? A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon about how we're in the last days. And, and man, go back and listen to that message. I'm not speaking about that from a, from a context of what many people say about that today. That means something totally different than, than what many of you will understand me saying. But we have to live, we are called to live with an urgency that Christ can return at any moment. That's what we were called to. That's what, that's what these people were, were talking about. That's what was happening. <clears throat> and I ask you to consider, if you found out that this was the end if you found out, and, and, and man, don't give me the Sunday school answer. This isn't about Sunday school answers. If you found out that the end is near, what would you want to spend your last days doing? What would you want to spend those last couple or three hours of your time doing? Man, some people wouldn't miss the opening day of deer season for anything. Some of us, if there was a sell on at, at Macy's or, I don't know, whatever store people go to, I shop at Walmart. Amy buys my clothes for me, really. I don't guess I shop really at all. But the reality is, is if, a, if there was a store that had this big sale, we wouldn't want to miss that for anything. Take a, take a walk, a mental walk down the magazine aisle in a, in a grocery store. There's people that have said, you know what, if you look in those magazines, you're going to see what people's heavens are. You're going to see where people place their hope and their longings for things. That's what you love. And if it's out of order, if it's got too high of a priority, it is sin. Repent. Change your mind about what gives you hope and, and provides your identity and, and it has provided a power for you to live. Change your mind about who God is and what He does. Don't mistake it. He's not some Santa Claus waiting to give us great gifts, although He does give us great gifts. But He's so much more than a Santa Claus sitting in the clouds. 
He is a creator. He is sovereign. He is completely holy and righteous and deserves our utmost adoration and respect and gratitude. Repent. Change your mind. Then he says, be baptized. Now here's the problem with this, is that a lot of people as they read this, and this is a really common teaching today, they hear this, they say, be baptized for the forgiveness or the remission of sins. And as they read that, they automatically say, well, see, Peter said, this is how we get forgiveness. We've got to go, go and get baptized. We've got to do these things so that we can be baptized, or so that we can be forgiven. Man, that sounds an awful lot like a work. It sounds an awful, like, like, lot, awful lot like a tradition that we can follow to gain his acceptance. But you know, Warren Wiersbe, as he commented on this passage, he points out that that word for can also be translated as on account of or because of, for this reason. See, for is kind of an ambiguous word. You really have to depend on the context to understand what its meaning is. In fact, go to Webster's. If you go to Webster's Dictionary, you're going to find... I don't know, I looked it up yesterday and I can't remember the number now. It's like 12 different meanings of the word for or the ways that it can be used. And so to read that and just automatically understand, oh, well, see, we've got to be baptized to get salvation, to get forgiveness. Well, let's think about the context. Context of Scripture says that Peter never again said that you have to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. In fact, he preached three other sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts where he referred to this and in one of them, in Acts chapter 3, he says that you repent. Never mention baptism. You repent for forgiveness. In, in Acts chapter 5, he says repent for forgiveness. In Acts chapter 10, he says believe for, for forgiveness. You see, the idea is, is that this repentance, this, this belief, this faith, that's where we find the forgiveness. The baptism is because of the remission of sin. It's because we have been forgiven. It's because this has happened. A very similar way that we might understand this word, and maybe I can illustrate this for you, is when we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, He died for our sins, yes. He died because of our sins. Because of our sins, Jesus died. It's not like He looked at our sin and just said, okay, well, I don't even know how to say it any other way. I mean, I'm sitting here drawing a blank. How do you say it when he's dying for sin if you don't understand it? It's because of that sin. That's why Jesus died. On account of, because of sin. And so as we come to this passage, he says, repent and be baptized because you have been forgiven. That's really the best way to understand this because it fits best with the whole context of Scripture. To pull this one verse and automatically say, well, if you've not been baptized, you must not be a believer. Well, what does that say about all who had faith throughout the Old Testament? Read Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. All of these people believed. They had great faith and not one of them got dunked. Not one. But they were counted righteous because of their faith. There was a thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus and he says, don't forget me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him. And this guy doesn't have a chance to be baptized. 
sorry, dude. See you later. No. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. See, baptism isn't a requirement for salvation. It's because we have salvation. Baptism doesn't earn us acceptance before God. We do it because we have acceptance before God. It doesn't give us forgiveness of sin. We do it because we have forgiveness of sin. But we can't move past this without understanding this. It's pretty important. It's been commanded. If you're a believer and you're here today and you've never been baptized, repent. Change your mind about God's authority in your life. He said, go and be baptized. He said, he said to His disciples, go, make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized. You need to be immersed in water. And when you are, you know what that does? That provides for you and everyone that you know a statement that I identify with Jesus Christ. I recognize the forgiveness of sin I have in Him. I recognize that He is my Lord and He is my Savior. He is my God and He is my Messiah. He's the one that God chose anointed to come and to save His people. It, it, it reveals to everyone around that gets to witness that moment that you identify with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. It helps people understand that you look forward and long for the anointing and the covering of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful tradition that we do because we want and long to be identified with our Master. Our Savior. I would encourage you, if you're a believer today and you've not been baptized, let us know. Let us know. Follow your Lord in baptism. Obey His command. But don't do it to earn His good grace. Do it because you have His good grace. He says, repent. Change your mind. All the things you thought, your fallen and flawed perspectives were wrong, get this one. Understand that Jesus is Savior and Lord. Repent. Change your mind. Be baptized because you have been forgiven of sin. And He says this in response to the idea that you're forgiven of sin. You will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Understand, he's not speaking about the gifts of the Spirit. He's not talking about certain powers and, and, and influences that he'll have in our life. He's speaking about the very fact that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. Every believer, everyone who has been saved has the Spirit. It is God's gift to us. It's part of His work in us. It's, it's the seal that carries us through to the end. It's the mark and the distinction of believers. The difference between you and I and the world, between us and people who don't believe, is not how good a people we are. It's that the Spirit of God indwells us and empowers us, enlightens us, 
He shows us the truth. He points us to Jesus Christ. He lets us see the truth. He helps us see the truth. Maybe sometimes He makes us see the truth. This is a promise, He says. This is a promise that's for all of you, for, for, for all that God would call. None of us have to wonder if we believe, if we know Jesus as Savior and Lord, if we have trusted Him, we should be able to see a change in our lives. There should be an experience, an, an experiential difference in who we are and the way we perceive the world. This is God's promise. This is God's promise. Now I know I've been pretty much about trying to bring application all the way through this, but I want to put you in their place. I want you to feel this weight for just a moment. My hope is that as we walk out of here today that none of us will have left without understanding gospel truth and gospel conflict, our need for repentance and faith. So I want you to hear these words. And I'm not saying them as if I'm reading them in the Bible. I am speaking them to you. And as I say this, I want you to know I've spoke them to myself over and over and over. Listen. I want you to know, therefore, for certain, that God has made Him both Lord and Christ and this Jesus you crucified. You and I are as responsible for His death as anyone who stood in that courtyard and screamed, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. We are as responsible for His death as those men that took that hammer and nailed those nails. We are as responsible for His death as the people that, speak, that Peter was speaking to. He died because you and I and others like us and those that have lived before us are a sinful people in need of a Savior. But I don't want you to stop there. I want you to hold that. I want you to hold it. I want you to deal with it, but I don't want you to stop there. I want you to hear the promise and power of this passage. You killed Him. But God saves killers. Repent. Trust in Him alone for the forgiveness of sin. Follow in obedience because of His great and beautiful and wonderful grace. Recognize that you have no hope on your own. You need Him. You can't go get a good job that's going to fix your problems. You can't have the right clothes that are going to fix your problems. You can't get the right house. You can't have the right family. You can't do anything or receive anything in this world that will settle this issue, your greatest need. Only Jesus. 
through the power of the cross. Through the power and beauty of the message of the Gospel. Understand this truth. Recognize the conflict. And trust in Him alone. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words have honored You. I pray that, that, that as we struggle within ourselves and, and, and might be trying to push responsibility off somewhere and, and thinking that, well, it's not our fault, it's not me, I didn't, I didn't ask for this, I didn't want this. Father, remind us how desperately we needed it. I thank you personally for saving me, for doing a work in me. Spirit, I pray that you'd rest on each person here that's yours and help them see the beauty of all that you have worked and done in their life, the newness that you've brought in them. Strengthen us and encourage us to live a life of repentance one that we are constantly looking to gain your perspective in, one that that we are abandoning our old ways and our old desires and our old longings to cling more desperately to you. Help us. Help us rest in your grace. We love you. Because you loved us, we thank you because you showed us how worthy you are to be thanked. We praise you because you've shown us how worthy you are to be praised. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week, we come to a place where it's time to respond. It's time to consider how the Lord might be working and speaking in your own life. I don't know how that might be. I'm often shocked and surprised to hear people speak to me later about what they gleaned or what they got out of a message. And so I don't know what he might be doing in your life. But we're going to sing some songs. We're going to worship and we're going to praise. And if, if you need to sit and pray, whatever you need to do, if you need to be quiet and just still and recognize his godhood over you, his authority in your life, his, his power over you, do what you need to do. If you want to just pray, Don't feel compelled to stand up and do what everybody else is doing. You sit before the Lord and you worship Him however you need. Let's sing.